my name is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking about name changes. Now, uh, one of the things that happens often for transgender people is that we choose new names. For whatever reason, names in, uh, in culture or in, you know, just in life in general, I don't know, somehow they are uh, gendered. And so um, oftentimes when trans people go through transitions, we want to choose a new name. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today about what went into choosing my name. And if you're a trans person listening, uh, maybe this will give you some ideas about how to choose your name. Um, and, you know, it might also, if you're not a trans person, you're listening, maybe it'll give you some, you know, insight into some of uh, the ins and outs that go into um, uh, making these decisions, you know. Um, uh so my name uh, was not Esther when I was born. It was not uh, L uh, when I was born, and um, that's a, a chosen name for me. It's a it's um, a name that I uh, took when I went through transition. Um, I think I first adopted the name. Uh, it wasn't quite two years ago that I finally settled on my name. Um, it was, you know, maybe, I mean, yeah, it's, it's complicated, which I'll get into here in a moment, but, um, you know, names are, are a big deal. You know, a lot of trans people, um, talk about their dead name and generally that means, uh, the name that they were given at their birth. Now, uh, for me, I don't personally prefer the language dead name. Um, it just kind of strikes me at the wrong way, like, um, you know, like the person that I was before, like, m- my name was Chris before, I-, I don't think Chris is dead, I, you know, I'm, I'm still am that person, I do have a new name, and I did have a significant change, obviously, um, but I don't think that person is dead, um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I feel frustrated when, I hear people talk about trans people like that, or like talking about transition as a grief or as a, as a death, because, you know, for me, in my perspective, um, transition gave me a way of living, honestly. It, it gave me uh, excitement about being alive. It gave me hope about what was around the corner. You know, I was living for so long in a place where uh, things felt pretty hopeless, um, transition gave me life. Um, so for me, it wasn't a death, certainly not a death first. Um, so I prefer to call my former name, my, my birth name or my first name or my given name. Um, and then my name as it is my real name, Esther or L, um, is my, uh, chosen name. Um, I, you know, I, I understand that other trans people relate to these things differently um, and have different sensitivities around them. I, I While I don't choose to call my other name a, a dead name, I do uh, not like it when people use it to me. You know, when I first came out, I got some letters back from people who wrote at the top, Dear Chris, 
after I had sent this, you know, long explanation about my trans identity and that I would be using the name Esther going forward and blah, blah, blah. And then they write back a letter to me, uh, dear Chris, um, you know, that in those instances, it felt quite much like an attack, you know, like as a, I know that you're mistaken about who you think you are, but I know who you really are kind of thing. And so, you know, in, in cases like that, I feel like, you know, dead naming as a descriptor of that kind of activity maybe fits more because it's done with an edge and it's done with a bit more cruelty, um, than just, you know, an accident. Um, but it definitely hurts. It definitely bothers me. It definitely makes me stop in my tracks. Um, even when people, uh, slip up on it. Um, you know, I've had friends or people that I've known and who knew me in the past to, you know, refer to me with my old name and then, you know, correct themselves. And, and, you know, it certainly feels better when they correct themselves, uh, than if they don't. Um, but it's still something that I notice and I'm very well aware of. I mean, names are a really big deal. Um, they, they cut to parts of our identity and maybe that's why we do this gender thing with them where, where there's some names that are, um, you know, more masculine, more feminine, some that, you know, can go either way. Like you can have Randy's or Andy's or, you know, different, you know, Sam, there's lots of names that can go either direction. Um, but names are, are a big deal. And, you know, I grew up as a Christian, as you know, and I grew up reading the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New, New Testament, and especially in, in, um, the Hebrew part of the Bible in the, in the, in the Old Testament and in, you know, a lot of aspects of Jewish tradition, at least ancient Jewish tradition, names were a really big deal. They signified a lot about a person's identity. And there are actually a lot of different um, characters in the Bible whose names changed, both New Testament and Old Testament. Um, and often those names changed um, uh, to like correspond with, you know, uh, an outside, you know, like an exterior change or like a, you know, a change in identity. And, um, you know, I think that's notable. And, and uh, you know, honestly, early on, as I was going through my process of coming out, uh, knowing those stories existed was, um, it almost felt like a way for me to sort of wrap my head around, okay, this is, this is a no, an okay thing. This is a normal thing. This is, this makes sense. Like, of course, when someone goes through a change, they might change their name, you know, like you see Abram, uh, becomes Abraham, uh, um, Jacob became, becomes Israel, um, Saul becomes Paul. There are lots of those types of stories in the Bible. Even, um, if you think about Naomi in the story of, uh, in the story of Ruth, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. Um, there's lots of significance to name changes. So, um, as I was going through my process, I, I wanted to change my name. I mean, Chris is obviously a name that, um, you know, there are some, uh, women who are Chris, there's more Kristen, Christy, Krista, um, you know, Christine, um, <laughs> Kristen, all those kinds of names. Those are, 
I think, more common, but I, I, I've known some Chris's. Um, and I did actually kick around the idea of um, just keeping my name the same. And I think, you know, that would have been a relief to a lot of people. Um, it would have been a relief probably to my mom. My mother really uh, loved my name, which makes sense. She chose it. Um, and, you know, I, I actually, I felt some sadness and a little bit of guilt for changing my name because of that. Like, it felt like, you know, um, you know, it was something that she did not wish for. Um, and I'm just, I'm flipping through my little notebook here. I have, a, I have an old journal that I wanted to read a little bit out of. Um, and, you know, I, I wrote in this journal about, um, you know, choosing Chris or some, you know, feminine aspect of my name, you know, it reminds me of um, when I was thinking about just keeping it that um, I used to get um, these pageant invitations in the mail, like for um, beauty pageants for girls, Um, because my name was Chris, there were some people, it's spelled with a K, um, there were some people who, I guess, in some databases assumed that I was a girl, which twist of nature they, they were right um but th- so they sent me these invitations and there was this like uh, every time they came there was i had this really weird sense of like um euphoria uh of like what it would feel like to be and be treated as a girl etc um but also like just abject terror like this was striking a little bit too close to home um and Um, so, you know, that's interesting, but, you know, in the end, um, you know, choosing Chris kind of felt like, um, uh, a step away from, see, for me, transition, uh, a lot, a significant part of transition was choosing to prioritize my own needs and my own wants even over other people's comfort, um, and that was huge. And so to choose Chris for me, it sort of felt like, um, or some derivative, it felt sort of like putting other people's comfort over my own needs. And th- the truth is that, you know, that name, Chris, or, Chris, you know, used femininely like Chrissy or Krista or Christy, when people would call me that, it felt, you know, it felt like an attack, it felt harmful. It felt cruel. It felt mean. It felt abusive. And even though I'm, you know, now claiming my femininity for myself and I'm claiming it without shame and embarrassment, um, you know, those usages were still tinged by um, that kind of name calling. And it just, you know, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. So a couple summers ago, um, before I started coming out publicly to anybody, um, I kind of started to feel pressure about, um, you know, kind of finalizing as an, uh, on a name. Um, this was, I was on a leave from my pastoral work because I had come out to the church, but I hadn't, or I'd come out to the administrators, but not out to anyone else. And, um, um, the, the name that I had been using like in support groups and in my therapy sessions and stuff was May, um, M-A-Y or M-A-E. 
it was a name that I really liked. Um, you know, M was one of my middle initials. Um, and you know, it just, it was a name that I liked. Um, and it was also, I believe that it may have been a name that my wife and I had selected had one of our children been born female. We may have used that name. So it was like a stand in. And, you know, when I started using it, it was kind of like a way of sort of trying on a feminine name and seeing how it felt, but it never really felt like me. Um, you know, I, I liked um, the word Maeve with a V. Um, there was this character on um, Westworld named Maeve. And um, in in the program, in the show, it's an HBO show, um, Maeve is this uh, sentient robot uh, <laughs> that... Um, becomes self-aware and she sort of wakes up to her own identity and her own self and she takes charge of her life. Uh, and so I, I felt some identification with that story and it's a really powerful feminine character in the movie. And so I like that. I, you know, Mavis Staples, the singer, her story is really powerful. So, you know, there were, um, you know, that, that kind of called out to me. Um, but, you know, so it was last summer or two summers ago that I started to really kind of dive into it. And I did like the most nerdy thing ever. I actually made some spreadsheets. And if you're on, um, you know, the, the YouTube version of this, you can kind of see I, um, you know, I like wrote out lists. I went through the 1980s. I went through the 1970s and I went through the 1990s and found the most popular feminine names using my given initials. Because I was thinking, okay, well, if I keep my initials the same, that would, you know, again, you know, that would make people more comfortable. It would make, like, some aspects of my life more simple, blah, blah, blah. So I went through the list and crossed out a whole bunch of ones that I didn't like. Um, and I kind of narrowed it down to a few, you know, options, Um you know, uh, some derivative of Chris was, of course, one of those. Um, I had a bunch of K's, bunch of C's, bunch of M's. Maeve was one of them. Um, and, you know, it just wasn't totally clear. Um, but I'd been really spending a lot of time, like, thinking about it, meditating on it. Um, but then I did a thing. Uh, this this activity happened during a summer. And it was during a time where I was on, like I said, I was on leave from work. And so I actually went back to my hometown for a couple of weeks. I took my kids. Um, my wife had to stay home and work, but I just took a couple weeks off and just bounced. And so the kids could have time. And so they spent time with their grandma. I was out to my mom at the time, but not transitioned. Um, so we spent a couple of weeks at her house there in my hometown. And as a part of that visit, um, I ended up having a conversation with her about my name. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the bits of advice that I heard um, given, I think it was in a book. There's like this silly um, comedy book that I actually really liked. Um, it was on Audible and it was written by this trans woman um, who was kind of joking about her transition. And she talked about how like, you know, one of the mistakes that a lot of trans women make is that they... Um, you know, they like name themselves without consulting with other people or, you know, they name themselves like a name that, um, like uh, they name themselves with a name that, 
I don't know. It's like popular right now, even though they were born 30 years ago. Um, I'm trying to find it here. I'm I'm looking it up. Oh, M2WTF, 26 of the Funniest Moments from My Transgender Journey by Samantha Allen. Anyway, I, I really found the book delightful. I thought it was cute, and I thought it was off the beaten path from what a lot of trans... Um, you know, like autobiographies are, which are, you know, real serious and a lot of tears. Um, anyway, um, so she gives some advice, like, don't ever name yourself. Like, what you really should do is, like, give it to your family and let them name you. Like, it never turns out good when you name yourself. <laughs> so, you know, funny enough, I ended up having a conversation with my mom, which was uncomfortable, um, I think, for both of us. We both cried as a part of it. Um and I shared with her some of the names that I really liked. I shared with her the the initial idea. And, you know, over the course of that conversation, she ended up giving her blessing uh, on the name that I ended up landing on, which was Esther. Um, and then a family middle name um, that I'm, I'm not going to share right now. But, um, you know... Uh, it does begin with the letter E. So then I was E.E. Lowen, uh, which is the name that you'll see on the podcast. Um, you know, the podcast uh, postscript or whatever. Um, but, you know, in the end, uh, the way that I chose my name was, yes, in consultation with my mom, I, I wasn't brave enough to just say, hey, mom, or hey, dad, or hey, uh, wife, or hey, friends, come up with a name for me. I wasn't brave enough for that. Um, and like I said, it felt like giving up. Like, this is an important part of my identity, and it felt too personal. And, you know, you only get to name yourself once, uh, if, if ever. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, you know, I just, I wanted some skin in the game. Um, but I really, you know, a, a year before I had preached a sermon on the story of Esther, and I had sort of talked about um, her, like the biblical Esther. There's a story of the, the book of Esther um, in the Bible, and it happens around, um, you know, it, it's this, like where where um, a lot of, where Jewish people get the story of Purim. Um, and, um, you know, it was a really, it was a really moving sermon for me. It was given at a time where I knew that I was going to be transitioning. And I reflected on how um, Esther was this woman who, you know, is celebrated as a hero, and I think rightly so. But I often feel like it's not recognized the kind of trauma and pain that she went through. I mean, this is a woman who really, really suffered and who, you know, went through an, an extremely public series of sexual assaults um, and how horrifying that is um, and how un, unrecognized that is. And, um, and even though I haven't been through that same um, experience of sexual assault, I do feel um, some kinship in terms of um, having experienced, um, you know, like spiritual abuse at the hands of a religious community, uh, which in some ways is what she went through. Although, you know, it was more of, out of protection of her own community than it was, um, the, the, you know, the, um, 
the Persian Empire that she was an exile within at the time, um, that was, you know, the real oppressor in that case. Um, but I, I felt some kinship with her story, and I read um, this piece by Mimi LeMay, What We Will Become, and she writes about Esther in this piece, um, and she says that Esther is the shadowy moon to the brilliant sun of Yahweh, um, and how um, in the Talmud, which is the oral tradition of um, of uh, Jewish um, rabbis or teachers about their tradition, um, she writes that um, there is hiddenness embedded in Esther's very nature, like the masks donned for Purim shielding people's identities. And in fact, the word Esther is linked to the Hebrew word hester, which is uh, a word that's often translated um, hidden, and about how... Um, you know, the miracle that happens in Esther's story, the miracle that happens at Purim is not an overt miracle, but instead is a, a covert miracle. It's this hidden miracle. And Mimi LeMay writes, um, Purim's covert redemption is cobbled together from coincidences and spectacularly good timing. Um, it's God's hidden hand. Do a ex machina, you know, or however you pronounce that, deus machinima. Um, uh, as a woman, the stage, the sages maintained, she would further symbolize the feminine aspect of God, the Shekinah, which follows. Um, so that, that piece, uh, and this is all kind of connection, like quotes from Mimi LeMay, um, and it, that really, really helped me reading that piece, What We Will Become. Um, and I identified more and more with Esther uh, and that name. And, you know, I, I wrote a book as Chris um, called Hidden. Um, and um, and it was about keeping secrets and about, um, you know, privacy and secrecy and hiddenness and things in the shadows. And, and that connection really resonated with me at the time. So that was an element that led me to, to really you know, kind of gravitating toward that name. I liked that it was biblical. Um, another thing, though, and, and you know, probably equally as important is that I have two grandparents who were named Esther. Um, and one of, the, one of the tasks that I went through as I was coming out to myself was going through this process of, of looking back at old pictures um, of myself and of my family and seeing what memories or feelings came up, specifically ones that uh, had, you know, relation or connection to gender. Um, I don't know if that really makes sense, but stories where um, gender, gender roles, feelings about gender, um, gendered activities, whatever, you know, came up as I reflected on the pictures. It was sort of like this, you know, process of, of almost like jarring my memories and it was a really helpful one. It went. It, I did it over the course of quite a few months. I went back through hundreds and hundreds of pictures, and actually, I have like a small collection of of the ones that like really, really stuck out to me. And one of them was a picture of my great grandmother Esther, um, who was this uh, tall, broad-shouldered German cowgirl woman who raised, you know, horses and goats and steers and 
and she had like a horse, a horse-drawn buggy that she would give her grandchildren rides on, and she was like just this hardy Western woman who lived way out in Washington State around the turn of the century and was um, strong and hardcore. And I have this picture of her um, standing next to her sisters, and she towers above them, like head and shoulders above both of them, big, wide, broad shoulders, short, super bob, short haircut. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. That is... Like, she is, um, you know, like, I'm a broad-shouldered, giant, tall, uh, you know, hearty, in some ways, woman. I mean, I'm probably a lot more girly than she ever was. But nevertheless, I saw myself in her, um, and I saw maybe the possibility of seeing a little of her show up in myself. And so you know, that was something that called out to me. She was a very independent woman in a lot of ways. She was um, single-minded in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, just powerful. And it was like, you know, kind of like seeing myself in her. Um, So that called out to me. And then I have another grandmother. So that was my great-grandmother. And then I have another grandmother on the other side of the family whose name was Essie which is a shortened version of Esther. I, I first learned that actually from a VeggieTales movie. The VeggieTales movie about um, Esther is, um, uh, there's a scene where the character that's played by Mordecai calls Esther Essie. And it was like, you know, when I first saw that, it like dawned on me for the first time that like, oh, wow, you know, my, my grandmother, Essie, that's a shortened version of Esther. Now her name was Essie. It would never was Esther. Um, but she was a powerful woman as well. Now she was not, she towered over no one. She was, you know, this little tiny blonde Southern belle. And, you know, she was, um, actually an adopted grandmother to me, but nevertheless, she was a huge part of my life. And, she was someone who uh, was a, a, you know, did child care for me when I was young person before I, you know, they moved away when I was six or seven. Um, but um, up until that point, she participated in child care. Like she was a really big part of my life and I went to visit them and so on. Um, and, but, you know, even more than that, um, as I learned more about her life when she got older and after she passed, um, I realized that she had been a giant in her own right. She was the first um, female department chair at the college that I would later graduate from, but also the college that she um, taught at. She was in like the business department. And, you know, that's massive in the 1960s for her to have taken over that role. And it was part of a, you know, a denominational school in a denomination that did not allow women to be ordained as pastors and still doesn't, you know. Um, So really significant. And, um, you know, she essentially, you know, she was a powerful woman, even though she was, you know, 90 pounds or something. You know, she took zero shits from people like she was powerful, strong uh, human being and someone that in a lot of ways, I want to be like. Um, And so, so for me, there was a a family connection to taking the name Esther. 
Um, and it all just kind of came together. Um, you know, in the end, I have a prayer actually written in my journal, the one that I, you know, read from before, where I essentially, you know, I, I spent a lot of time praying to God and asking for peace and confirmation and um, blessing over this name, that this was the name that I was um, essentially supposed to take, or that was my name for me. And in the end, I was granted that peace, you know, where it really, it really felt like that was my name, L. Um, and so that's, I made the decision. It was in July of 2021, um, almost two years ago. And then, you know, maybe six months later or something like that was when I had the ceremony, um, the rite of transition ceremony. And, and if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I've talked about this a lot of times. Rituals are important. Ceremonies are important. I created a ceremony, um, in order to do, uh, just that. And part of the ceremony involved a renaming, which is not uncommon for trans people. Um, uh, if you, you know, you search up, you know, you go onto Google and you search for a transgender renaming ceremony, you'll find a lot of examples. You probably find mine. I have my uh, transition um, ceremony online. If you search for rite of transition or transition ceremony or ritual of transition or whatever, you know, my website will be one of the ones that comes up. And like I said, there was a, sec- a section where I was renamed and um, one of my uh, friends who is an ordained pastor uh, graciously accepted my invitation to come and to essentially officiate over this ceremony. Um, she was wonderful. Um, and um, my mom and my dad were there. And there was a section where this minister led uh, an anointing and a renaming of me. And uh, I just wanted to read, uh, you, I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but um, I wanted to read uh, some of the things that was said in that renaming. So the minister, uh, she said, um, to me, um, by what name shall you be known? And both my parents who were standing there, who were not married, like it was a grace for both of them um, to stand there together in my in support of me. And uh, they said, the name shall be Esther. And then I said, my name shall be Esther. And then the minister said to the audience, community, repeat after me, your name shall be Esther, Esther, Esther. And then everyone in attendance, all, you know, however many people were there, a hundred people or something, they all spoke back, your name shall be Esther, Esther, Esther. And then uh, the minister had um, this oil, um, and it was like, it was a mixture of oil and and ash and glitter, and we could talk more about that later, but there was a lot of symbolism in that. And she anointed me on uh, my forehead with that oil. And anointing with oil is a a, a really thick symbol throughout the Christian scriptures and throughout the Jewish scriptures for these moments of um, transformation, these moments of God's blessing. So she anointed me with oil and she said these words, bear this name as a reflection of your true self. Share this name as a reflection of mercy. Offer this name as a reflection of justice. Ash for transformation and glitter for hope. 
bound together with the oil of God's anointing. Creation itself bears witness. You, my siblings, bear witness. Christ bears witness. And you know, for me, that um, that moment was um, it was transformational. It was huge. And we hugged and we cried and I'm crying right now. And it was, it was a huge, huge moment. And you know, when I have people, even, even it's given me even confidence. Like since then, when people have dead named me to go, to go all the way back, to circle back to the beginning of the episode, when people have dead named me and they'd said, Oh, I'm not going to call you Esther. Your name is Chris. Like, on what basis? Like my fucking parents. They were the ones that named me Chris in the first place. And they blessed this trans this transition. They blessed with affirmation my name change. They gave me a new fucking name. What in the hell are you talking about? God, the divine, blessed my transition. An ordained pastor was there. My community was there. What more do we need? I mean, it's legally changed. Like, there, there is no uh, room to stand on. Like, my name is Esther. Uh, I didn't really expect to cry <laughs> uh, this episode. Um, but names are a big deal. And my name means a lot to me. And I'm so grateful for that blessing uh, from my folks in my life. Um, you know, I think I intuitively knew that it would be helpful. I think I intuitively knew it would be important to me, but I don't think I realized just how incredibly important it actually was. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Um, yeah. Um, I'm kind of trying to bring us here to the end of this week's program. I, I set out hoping to do a 20-minute show, and now I'm at a 35-minute show. Um, but I hope that you've uh, appreciated it. I, I continue to uh, value your emails. I continue to value reaching out. It's been a kind of a tough week for me. I was sick last week and wasn't able to go to work or anything. I just stayed home and laid in bed. Um, so you probably could still hear a little bit of that in my voice, but I wanted to make sure to record again. You know, you guys, we, uh, this, this last week I passed 5,000, uh, listens, which is, uh, for me is, is a lot. You know, there's a few hundred people that listen to the program every single week. And, um, it's just, it's heartwarming to know that there's some value in just telling these stories, um, and I would love to hear yours. You know, I'd love to hear about how you chose your name. I mean, maybe we'll do an episode in the future about um, how other folks chose their names um, and, you know, or questions about what went into choosing a name. Um, uh, yeah, but just thank you so much for listening. Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for your ratings and reviews. And um, I will continue to be a transgender woman talking and I'll continue to be L. <laughs>